0: Well, clearly I'm not Mark, (laughs) and you can tell because the shirt's not right. (laughs) My name's Chris Lane. My wife and I, family, had great... Oh, there's a spider on there. Excuse me. There we go. Uh, Had the great privilege of founding the church 30 years ago, and it's good to be here. And I'm quite nervous, actually. I don't know how many times I've preached in this building, but it seems quite nerve-wracking. But anyway, we're going to get straight into it. Before I pray... I felt that the Lord just prompted me to say something. When I was driving over here this morning, my wife and I live out on the Vale of Aylesbury now, and that's 30 minutes or so away. Uh, I was coming on over, and I was driving up the big bank at Whipsnay Zoo, and the road was closed. And I thought, oh, great. And I looked at my watch. It was going to be okay. But I had to do a great big detour through uh, uh, Dunstable and then carried on. I'm going down the A5. I'm nearly at the M1. And there's another road closure, great big sort of detour. And I had to go all the way back through the back road through to Harpenden. So there's two unrelated but roadblocks to me getting here. Now, I just want to say this that if you in your life are currently experiencing an unexpected roadblock, you know, we all, you know, life is difficult. Jesus said in this life you'll have many troubles. But don't worry, I've overcome the world and all the rest of it. But, you know, every now and then something comes out of left field that thwarts you. And I just want to say to you, the Lord says to you, I'm with you. Keep your eyes on the goal, the vision, the place or whatever it is you want to be. Don't panic, even though time may be tight or money may be tight or other circumstances may be be sort of pressing upon you. And just look for that sort of narrow way around that obstacle. So if you are in the middle of a situation where suddenly something's cropped up, which has thwarted you, or if something crops up this week, don't panic. Don't panic. Keep your eyes on the goal and look for that way around. That's maybe a little word for somebody, a word in season at some point. Bless you. Okay, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you and uh, We do ask, Lord God, your blessing upon Mark and Steph and the kids this week, not feeling too well. We pray, Lord God, that you would not only heal them and uh, fortify them, but you would heal us and fortify us with your holy word. And everyone said, amen. Well, I guess, like me, you've been enjoying the teaching. We've had some uh, great teaching from Mark, great teaching from Denise. I always enjoy Denise's speaking. She's just such a natural, and all, I always seem to come away from one of her sermons with, with something to think about, and I love that. I love that. And I, this week, and I'm, uh, I'm not sure whether it's rounding off the series so much as just being one of those occasions when, uh, uh, you know, I've got the last thing on the list, but this week, I'm going to be talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm gonna unpack this a bit, but before I do that, I want to just tell you right at the beginning what the punchline is. The sword of the spirit is not so much about the weapon itself, but who wields the weapon. Who wields the weapon? And that really ties into so much of this teaching so far when. You know, we've looked at the helmet, the breastplate, the belt, you know, the shoes, and all the rest of it. I mean, all of these things, they are not only God's armor for us, God's protection, but every one of them deals with an inner journey, with transformation. And I think one of the things that, you know, naive Christians or newbie Christians, and it's, you know, everybody's naive and newbie at some point in their life, they tend to think that if you just quote Scripture in the situation, that is enough. It, it isn't. You know, it isn't. It's about who we are becoming in Christ. So, yeah, the sword of the Spirit, we're going to look at that. But actually, it's what God is already doing in us to transform us into the image of Christ that gives us the weight and the power. For example, let me just say this, just an illustration which will Bring that well. You know, imagine that you were a Roman centurion and you had a bit of leave, you're at home and you're in your, you're sort of on your patio or something and suddenly you hear your sword, your short sword, they called it a gladius, being dragged upon along the floor. Instantly you know what that is. That's your two and a half year old son who's gone into your bedroom and helped himself to the sword and he's dragging it across the floor, it's too heavy for him, and so you shout, Romulus, put it back! And then there's a little voice, wasn't doing anything, daddy, put it back! Now that sword is a fearsome weapon, but in the hands of a -a two-and-a-half-year-old, it's not really to be feared. Scroll on, you're on your patio, got some lead. And suddenly, your 13-and-a-half-year-old son, called Gladius, who has a few friends over, is up to something, and suddenly you hear your sword dropped, and all his friends giggle and gasp, and you lean back and you shout, Romulus, leave that stuff alone, put it back. Now, in the hands of a -a 13-and-a-half-year-old, there could be some injury there. It's not just a little kiddie. Scroll on forward. The centurion is now on duty, and he is in Germanica. He is a centurion, and suddenly hordes of barbarians come over the hill, and the commander says, "'Take position!' And instantly, the centurions go, tch, 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 a, sea of, a sea of shields go up. And the centurion holds his sword just poking through between. On guard, now you are facing a fearsome enemy. Years of training, years of skill, years of experience. It's not so much the weapon, although the weapon is important. It's who, it, who is wielding it. Okay. Let me just now take us back to the Scripture, and because we've kind of chopped it up, what I want to do is just read this passage of Scripture from the, uh, about the armor of God, just so that we get the context a bit, and also so that we can uh, ask a few questions of the text. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. So THAT WHEN THE DAY OF EVIL COMES, YOU MAY BE ABLE TO STAND YOUR GROUND, AND AFTER YOU HAVE DONE EVERYTHING, STAND. STAND FIRM, THEN, WITH THE BELT OF TRUTH BUCKLED ROUND YOUR WAIST, WITH THE BREASTPLATE OF RIGHTEOUSNESS IN PLACE, AND WITH YOUR FEET FITTED WITH THE READINESS THAT COMES FROM THE GOSPEL OF PEACE. IN ADDITION TO ALL OF THIS, TAKE UP THE SHIELD OF FAITH WITH WHICH YOU CAN EXTINGUISH ALL THE FLAMING ARROWS OF THE EVIL ONE. TAKE THE HELMET OF SALVATION and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I wanted to read the whole thing just to remind you of where we've been over the last few weeks, but also because it reminds us of the battle that we're in. And there's something interesting here I want you to note: What does Paul say, can anyone, you know, earn a brownie point here, about the nature of our struggle? Who is our struggle against? Just shout it out. Satan, yeah. Thank you. Powers and principalities, that's the sort of area I'm, I'm looking for. It says here, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Interesting. These are pretty heavy-duty things. These are, these are things that are enormous, insurmountable. These powers that we're against are, are overwhelming for us, for you, for me, and yet... Paul tells us we're in this battle, and what have we got? A short sword, excuse me, a two-foot short sword, the gladius, and we're in that battle. I want a nuke. You know, I want an aircraft carrier. I want, if, if that's the battle, then I want something a bit more than a short sword. The point here is that, of course, this battle is a cosmic battle, and Jesus has already won Somebody pretend you're a Pentecostal and shout hallelujah. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Mark's not here so I can do things like that, you see. So it is it is a cosmic battle, but we're not called upon we're not called upon to fight personally these enormous titanic cosmic foes because Jesus has already done that. The victory is assured. The victory has been won. Where was it won? It was won on the cross at Calvary where Jesus took our sins upon himself and died on the cross, substituting himself for us and offering to God a perfect sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice so that even though he die, we might live. That was the battle. It was the battle for the souls, the hearts, the minds of of humanity through every generation. And Jesus has done what it takes to beat the cosmic forces. Everything that was set against us has been wiped clear. We are now in that stage of mopping up, and it's hand-to-hand fighting. Many will know that in the closing stages of the Second World War, as the Russians and Americans bore down on Berlin, the very epicenter of the Third Reich, there were more casualties in the streets of Berlin than in the fields of Flanders. It was hand-to-hand fighting, and that's on a cosmic level, where we're at now. So what what then? What then? um, Look at my thing. Sort of the Spirit, Word of God. Who wrote these notes? So now what I want to do is I'm going to look at Matthew's gospel where we see Jesus encounter Satan and we see what the nature of this hand-to-hand fighting is like. I'm going to read a passage. It's going to come up on the screen, Matthew chapter 4, 1 to 11. And this is Jesus having just experienced his baptism. This is at the beginning of his ministry. and Straight away, it's the Holy Spirit, not the devil, the Holy Spirit that sends him into the the desert for a time of fasting and preparation. And during that time, at the end of that time, it says, that Jesus was tired exhausted and very hungry and at that point at his weakest Satan comes to him let's just read this passage then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry the tempter came to him and said if you are the son of God Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, said Jesus, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this will I give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. So, you know, we've talked about Roman centurions. We've talked about cosmic battles. What does it really look like in the 21st century in Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire? What does it actually look like? What? What is the nature of the attack? How does it come to us? Well, in three crucial areas which we see in the Scriptures here. The first thing that Satan does is he seeks to undermine our identity. If you are the Son of Man, if you are forgiven, if you're a Christian, if you're loved, if you're forgiven, if God is for you, if, 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 if. Now, that kind of language, I don't know about you, I understand. All my life as a Christian, and I've been a Christian for a fair few years now, the enemy is come to me at times, sometimes of great success, other times of feeling really rotten and rough and fed up and want to go home and don't want to do this anymore. And Satan comes with that question. Huh, Vicky. call yourself a Christian. It's a joke. You're a joke. Loved? Why would anyone love you? Why would anyone love you, much less God? It's at those times that the enemy comes and seeks to undermine our identity. Satan says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, Jesus, it's interesting what he does. He doesn't play ball. You know, if somebody says to you, you know, it, it, you know, if you're a mechanic, why can't you fix my car? Well, that demands a quest, uh, an answer. Well, I am a mechanic, actually. Mind your backs and let me get through. Satan asks a question which inclines us and seems to demand a response. You call yourself a Christian. And all too often we buckle and say, I know, I really messed up. Oh, I'm a bad person. Satan, uh, Jesus ducks all of that. He doesn't play that game. It's very interesting. What Jesus does is he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. All too often, in this inner spiritual life, we let Satan dictate the, 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 the board game, the game of play. It's a bit like David and Goliath. You know, I've always said that one of the big mistakes that the Israelites made was allowing the Philistines to dictate how the battle would run. You know, man for man, quite probably, the the Israelites could have beaten Philistine, but just because a great big hairy bloke comes forward and says, whoever defeats me, well then, we will be subject to you. But if you don't defeat me, you lot will be subject to us. Well, they, who, who, who said that those were the rules of encounter? I mean, they should have said, Yabu sucks, we're not playing that game. But they bought into it. Oh, my gosh, he's really big and he's really hairy and who can we get to fight him, you know? Crazy. He's a deceiver, he's a liar. Why, why would we do that? I'm not going to, by the grace of God, enter into a a game where I start parrying with Satan about whether I'm a Christian or not. That is decided, not because of me or because I've said it was a good idea, but because Jesus has said that if you turn to him and call upon him and ask him to forgive your sin, you have passed from darkness into light. That's God's word, not my decision. And so if Satan doesn't like it, he needs to go and talk to God about that, not me. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the first thing that the enemy in the 21st century will do, he will try and undermine your confidence, even if you're a newbie Christian, but as to whether or not you are a Christian, you know, this is a journey, as we keep saying. We are in process. We are a work in progress. The second thing, the second battle, the second tussle we see here. You know, Satan takes him up to, uh, says, puts him on the top of the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, da 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 da, da. What Satan is doing here, it's not about the, the fleshly appetites. What Satan is doing here is he's saying, okay, okay. In, let, let's say you are the son of God then. Ah, fair enough. You know, what's well, it to me? You're the son of God. Now, if you're the son of God, if you were to throw yourself off this temple, well, then God will rescue you, says it in his word. Why don't we see? Satan is trying to undermine that sense of growing significance we have as Christians. You see, as a son of God, as a daughter of God, you have a significance that is bestowed upon you. You are beloved of God. You have been saved by God. Jesus has died for you. And now you are a son and a daughter. And Satan will come against that aspect of identity and will say, you're no good to anyone. You know, look at that person, look at that person, look at that person, look what they're up to, look what they're doing. Now, they're Christians. I can see that they're Christians. What are you doing? What are you doing? Now, I have had to battle with this a bit myself over the last two and a half years since I retired. For 30 years, you know, when Phyllis and I started and the family started the church, you know, we were in our lounge, and then over the years, you know, we kept plodding along, and God sent us good people, great people, and opportunities, which we tried to take with both hands, and we spent much of our time on our face praying and the rest of it trying to do something. And by the grace of God, this thing was built up. Suddenly, I retire, and I'm sat at home in my conservatory listening to the birds singing, which is very nice. And after a little while, it pales a bit. And I feel, shouldn't I be doing something? Shouldn't I be doing something? And so I, you know, I did what Christians do. I prayed. I asked God, what should I be doing? You know, all these years of experience and stuff like that, what should I be doing? You know what the Lord said to me? He said, in repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength. Straight out of Scripture. But you see, I'm a doer. I'm a, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a great, I'm a talented person of influence and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And isn't that a bit of a waste, God? <laughs> In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Yes, but there must be something I can do, I mean. In repentance and rest is your, and so on and so forth. And God taught me over that two and a half years that while he loves me and he loves working with me and he gave me a task to do, he doesn't need me to do anything for him because he's done it all. And if I need to be doing things for God, that says more about me and my perception of significance. That says more about me needing to do things to earn his approval, justify my salvation. I hated it when we arrived at that point. I believed it was true. You see, as many people have said, there's nothing I can do that will make God love me more. And there is nothing I have done that will make God love me less. This salvation, whoever and whatever you are, is a free gift, whether you like it or not. I did what God told me to do, as did my wife, Liz, and now I'm, by the grace of God, doing what God told me to do. I'm putting currants out for blackbirds. <laughs> That's my big chore for the day. But it's good because I'm a son of God and I don't have to do all that stuff anymore. My significance in God's sight or the kingdom of God is no more or less than it has ever been. That's very free, very free. The last aspect of this assault is very blatant Very blatant. It says that uh, Satan took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. This goes to the very heart of the matter. We've talked about identity, we've talked about significance. This actually goes to the very heart of your and my purpose. Do you know what that is? The heart purpose of every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth is to worship God, to love him, and enjoy him forever. I'll say that again. The heart, root, purpose of every man, woman, and child on this earth is to worship God, to love him, and enjoy him forever. That's why we're here. That's what it's all about. We as created beings are called to delight in worshiping God. So, when Satan says, look, I don't know exactly what you're about, Jesus, but I've got a pretty good idea. You've come to take it all back, haven't you? You don't need to go through all that hassle. You don't need to go to the cross. You don't need to endure the, you know, the cynicism of the Pharisees. Just bow down and worship me. And Jesus, without any hesitation, ignores the shortcut, ignores the presumption of the question, and simply says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. End of story. Satan leaves. In the 21st century, in Hertfordshire, Beds and Bucks, or wherever it is you live, Satan is still coming at us in the hand-to-hand fighting of our daily lives, trying to undermine our identity in Christ, the significance we have, the importance as a son and daughter of God, and our heart need to worship God. If you don't worship God, you'll worship something else. As Bob Dylan, who many of you will know and others will not know, said, you gotta serve somebody. Whoever and whatever you are, that's the way we're made. That's the way we're made. So that's how the, the fighting manifests itself. So how are we then to wage war? It's interesting because all the other aspects of the of the armor have been defensive. Keeps you just you know your your chest safe, your head, your shield. You know sandals are the good news. Hopefully not so that you can run away more quickly. But this is an offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God. The word of God. Where have I heard that before? The word of God. The word of God. John's gospel. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus himself is the Word of God, the spoken Word, the creative Word. Hebrews says that through him all things were created. In Genesis, God spoke the Word and creation happened. So the sword of the Spirit is not this Brand new heavy Bible, which I bought on Amazon. I couldn't find my preaching Bible, would you believe it? So, frantic orders on Friday, and new Bibles arrive. And this is the Word of God. But I don't know, it's a pretty heavy one. It doesn't make much of a weapon, really, I suppose. The Word of God, the Spirit, is he who dwells within us. That's why as we walk with Christ and as he works his image in us, we become more like him. We've seen quite a bit of scripture, but I just want to look at this last little piece, Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. This outlines the process, and there are other places in scripture that do the same thing. Says here in Colossians 3:17, let the peace of Christ, don't, don't worry. Jesus has the victory. The battle is won. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Gratitude. That in itself is a powerful weapon. let The message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As we focus on the peace of Christ, whatever obstacles get thrown up in our way. As we repent, oh God, I really like that. Thank you for showing me that. Lord God, forgive me and give me grace to overcome that. As we rest in him, I I, I really feel I need to be doing something okay. Yes, oh, sorry, Lord. As we give thanks, Lord, oh, you know, I I would really love that new car. Oh, God, if I could just get that new job. Oh, God, if my kids would just behave a little better. Oh, God, if I could just get to sleep. All of these things that assail us. If we can just breathe deeply Take a moment and say thank you, Lord. Yeah. <sighs> thank you, Lord. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And worship begins to rise up. Oh God, thank you. I'm sorry. I had a bit of a moment there, Lord. Yeah, the kids, the kids will be fine. Thank you, Lord, that we have food on the table. Thank you, Lord, that that car gets me to work most of the time. Oh God, you are the Creator of all things. Thank you for saving me I know I'm a bit of a project Lord but thank you for saving me we move into worship God goes deep God goes deep and as God goes deep we are transformed into the image of his son Jesus and as that happens we grow, unbeknownst to us, in spiritual discernment and authority. You see, the sword represents power, but you need authority and skill to use that effectively. A -a two-and-a-half-year-old can drag it across the floor, but you need spiritual authority to wield it. And as you do that, unbeknownst often to yourself, you become a fearsome warrior in the kingdom of God. I kid you not, although slightly in jest, that as you walk down the street, demons step into the curb to let you pass. In the scriptures in Acts 19, it's rather amusing, there's an account of some uh, professional exorcists who saw what Jesus was doing, casting out demons, and so they tried it, and they used the name of Jesus. They were just kind of, you know, saying, oh, it's a good thing here. Okay, right, okay, with this Jesus, let's try this Jesus thing. So somebody brought them a, ch- a child or someone to, who was demon-possessed to be ministered to, and they said, in the name of Jesus, we cast you out. And the demons spoke up and said, now, wait a minute, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, but who the hell are you? And he gave them a right old knocking about, and they had to flee down the street. Excuse the language. You see, as we grow in Christ, we become fearsome warriors in Christ. You may not feel like that, but that's how you are perceived. That's the authority you have as you wield the word of truth in the kingdom that God is creating around us. I'm going to finish with this. A little verse, of course. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This awesome Archangel, who thought he could dethrone God and fell in disgrace from the heavenlies, Satan himself will flee from you as you mature in Christ and minister with his word, quoting scripture if needs be, mindful of his word always, allowing Christ to minister through you. Over the past two and a half years, what I have been able to do is read and uh, pray. And I have found myself being mentored. And I use that word. Very often people say, you know, will you mentor me and stuff like this. You know, it's great if you have a, a face-to-face mentor. But actually, actually, the resources that are available in the, in the form of books and, and now, you know, video and YouTube and the internet are astonishing. And, you know, those saints that have gone before can mentor us. So I say I've been, I've been mentored over the last two and a half years by uh, the Puritans, 17th and 18th century writers, writing about their experience. Now, they were not... As Pentecostal as we would be, as charismatic, but I have found in the process and the part of the journey I'm on them to be a rich source of encouragement and challenge. I want to finish by reading this. I'll pray after this, but this is entitled The Servant in Battle. The language is a little ancient. Just listen. O Lord, I bless thee that the issue of the battle between thyself and Satan has never been uncertain and will end in victory. Calvary broke the dragon's head, and I contend with a vanquished foe who, with all his subtlety and strength, has already been overcome." When I feel the serpent at my heel, may I remember him whose heel was bruised, that's Jesus, but who when bruised broke the devil's head. My soul with inward joy extols the mighty conqueror. Heal me of any wounds received in the great conflict. If I have gathered defilement, if my faith has suffered damage, If my hope is less than bright, if my love is not fervent, if some creature comfort occupies my heart, if my soul sinks under the pressure of the fight, rescue me. O thou whose every promise is balm, every touch life, draw near to thy weary warrior. Refresh me that I may rise again to wage the strife and never tire until my enemy is trodden down. Give me such fellowship with thee, that I may defy Satan, unbelief, the flesh, the world, with delight that comes not from a creature, and which a creature cannot mar. Give me a draft of the eternal fountain, that lieth in thy immutable, everlasting love and decree. Then shall my hand never weaken, my feet never stumble, my sword never rest, my shield never rust, my helmet never shatter, my breastplate never fall, as my strength rests in the power of thy might. Amen. Let me just pray. Would you mind standing? If you have found what I've said interesting but difficult because you would not count yourself a Christian yet, know this that everyone is welcome at the Lord's table. No one is excluded. You can begin that journey today, wherever you are, at home or in this room, by simply saying, Lord, I surrender. Forgive my sin and make me your own. Now, if you want to do that today, please, one of the team will pray for you here, but also on the... uh, Screen. there should be a little indicator button. I'm sh- I can't remember what it looks like, but make that step. Now let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word which instructs us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the word of God which works within us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the minister of the word of the God that comes in power through us. And we pray, Lord God, that we would not just be talkative little Christianity, as G.K. Chesterton once said, but that, Lord God, we would be fearsome warriors in whom the person of Jesus is making himself known. And everyone said, Amen.